This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. to connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape, I'm your host today and it's me on my own today and I'm going to be talking to you about three quite different topics. The first one is going to be about the JB Weir report. This is a report that comes out periodically giving a bit of an insight into some of the key facts about what's happening in the not-for-profit sector. So we're going to talk a little bit about that first. Second thing we're going to do is look at the weekly bulletin. This is a publication that Community Waikato put out uh, every week, obviously, weekly bulletin, just to uh, give you a bit of an insight into what's happening uh, around the local community and social service um, industry. So what sorts of things you might be able to get involved in or um, sign up for and the likes. And finally, I want to have a brief conversation around vaccinations. And the reason I want to talk about this is that as a sector, we've had a number of managers come to us and ask about what it is they can and can't do in relation to um, vaccination status of staff. So we're going to have a brief conversation about that as well. So that's essentially what our show is going to be about. But first of all, just start off with that JB Weir report. As I said, this is a report that comes out periodically. The information from our most latest report has just been released. It's actually based on a lot of information collected in around 2018, between now and then. So it's, um, yeah, I suppose it takes quite some time to uh, analyse the data. So this is what we've got anyway. The first, and I think very interesting point, is that um, the total amount estimated um, income from philanthropy and grant making is $3.8 billion. And it's actually quite an increase from earlier studies. So $3.8 billion is significant. And that, that is the income coming from philanthropy and from grant making. It's probably really important to point out that that is not the only type of revenue uh, that not-for-profit organisations use. We also, of course, generate quite a lot of our own income through things like social enterprises, little businesses set up, um, but also through fundraising or donations, and government contracts. So there are lots of different ways that income comes into the sector. But in terms of this report, it's, it's really looking at uh, philanthropy and the grants that organisations uh, get from um, from charitable trusts, um, community foundations and other philanthropic organisations. So um, so that's quite significant. I think one of the other really key things that jumped out at me was around uh, the gaming machines and lottery boards. Um, now, that actually is still making up around 16% of the total of philanthropy and grants for the sector. And what's really interesting about that is that lots of organisations have been having conversations about whether or not they should actually accept grants from gaming machines or uh, lotteries just because of the gambling harm 
And, um, of course, gaming machines and lotteries are required to give out a particular percentage of their earnings. And so, yeah, there's, a, I suppose, an ethical conversation that many groups have had about whether or not they should be um, applying for grants from those types of organisations. But at this point, currently around 16% of total grants comes from that particular place. Um, fundraising is dominated by the largest organisations, with the largest 9% of charities receiving 91% of donations. I think that is um, really significant as well. When we're talking about those large charities, we're talking about the real big ones, um, like I suppose things like Salvation Army or um, Red Cross, I don't know if they're specifically in there, but they're the, the bigger ones that have jumped out at me, um, cancer-type um, organisations. 91% of all donations. And so, um, you know, I think that there's been a perception that many organizations rely on and, yeah, yeah, rely on the donations of, um, of their beneficiaries and, and others that support their cause. Um, certainly what we would sometimes refer to as those sexier organizations are able to, to leverage that opportunity more than, than others. And certainly new platforms like, Give a little and the likes have created some opportunities, although they tend to be dominated by individuals rather than organisations. Um, you know, I think that that um, donations, while they still are obviously quite an important part of organisations' revenue, um, they certainly for for many are not the primary way that people get um, get income. Um, the largest gains for receivers is in welfare and in human services related sectors such as the social services, community development and disabilities. Um, and that is the space that Community Waikato works as well. So um, from our perspective, that's, um, that's been really positive for, for the sorts of groups that we engage with. Um, there's uh, growing the growing interest amongst energy trusts to grow community granting levels. And so um, we're actually seeing a number of, uh, I suppose, the community trusts and the community foundations looking at opportunities to increase uh, access to revenue for community organisations. Um, bequests are set to become more significant, and particularly with an ageing population and rising asset values. Um, and, and in terms of bequests, they tend to go through the community foundations. If you're wondering about your own community foundation, those of you listening in the Waikato, that is, of course, Momentum um, Foundation, the Waikato Momentum Foundation. And that has um, done extremely well in the last number of years, building up relationships with uh, individuals who have got uh, at least some kind of um, asset to be able to pass on um, should they pass away. A number of people, and it's not actually detailed in this report, but it's an interesting um, it's an interesting dimension to the bequesting space, is what they're calling living bequests, where individuals who have got um, assets or resources are actually setting up funds early so they can um, monitor what happens with them, they can uh, give some direction about how um, the community foundation might distribute that fund. So, for example, um, you might have an interest in the fund going to young women's education or perhaps um, specific people and, I don't know, um, yeah, food or it could be anything, could be an animal charity. Um, but, yeah, living bequests give people the opportunity to, I suppose, uh, be able to enjoy 
seeing um, what they've managed to create, what wealth they've managed to create, have good impact um, while they're still alive. So something to think about. But this JB report is actually quite an extensive report that gives really good detail um, into some of the um, changes in the not-for-profit sector in terms of revenue, and particularly revenue related to um, grants and philanthropic organisations. We probably don't need to go too much more into detail around that, but what we might do is take a short break. When we come back, we'll have a conversation about the weekly bulletin. It's where I feel free to be me. Free FM 
with Connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. Holly Snape here from Community Waikato and we're just having a conversation today about three broad topics. We've just talked about the JB Weir report, now on to our weekly bulletin. And if you want to sign up to the Community Waikato weekly bulletin, you can just jump on our website, communitywaikato.org.nz, and there's an opportunity just to sign up there. And I'd encourage you to do that if you've got any kind of connection to the not-for-profit sector. It's a great way to be updated about what's going on. Uh, One of the first things we've got coming up on the 20th of October, so not too far away, is how to read financial statements. This is a fantastic uh, program that will give you real insight into understanding the reports that often get put in front of you if you are part of a governance board. If you are a manager, you also could really benefit from understanding this. It's surprising, well, It shouldn't be surprising. I I, would like to say many people struggle more with this than perhaps what they will admit. But once you've done this program, it makes it so simple. This is not about being an accountant. This is not about having um, complex mathematical skills or anything about that. This simply breaks down what a financial statement looks like in really, really simple forms and talks through each line and explains what it means, what it should look like, um, what it's telling you about your financial position. It's a very, very good course. So if you are interested, if you are someone who works in operations of a community organisation or if you are on a governance board, then well worth doing. And always keep in mind, you know, if you're part of a governance board, the finances aren't just the responsibility of uh, the denominated treasurer. Everybody has the same fiduciary duty. So it is well worth making sure you understand exactly what you're looking at. So if you're interested in that, do just jump on our website. You'll find that there's a a tab on there for workshops. Click on there and you can just go and enroll yourself that way. The other one we've got coming up in November is understanding the Treaty of Waitangi. And this this always is extremely popular. And I'll tell you what, the feedback we get about this is absolutely outstanding. People love it. Uh, it's one I need to do again sometime. Um, you'll get so much out of this if you just want to understand a little bit more about what the treaty means, what's actually in it, but also how does that translate into your everyday lives? How does that translate into being a better New Zealand citizen? So um, it's fantastic in terms of you'll find that almost any job you go for, you'll be asked about your understanding of the treaty and and you'll be asked about how those principles might apply in your own work. This makes sure that you feel not just that you could repeat those principles, but you understand how they apply and why they're important. So understanding the Treaty of Waitangi. If you're interested, again, jump online, um, communitywaikato.org.nz. You'll see it's on the 17th of November. This one we really need to do face-to-face. Um, so our hope is that we're in at least alert level two um, during that stage. We've also got um, a digital inclusion strategy, well, an opportunity to have your say on a um, a national digital inclusion strategy. So, you know, you'll find that um, well, we found that during the last sort of several lockdowns, there has been quite a divide in people who have opportunity and access um, to being able to participate in a digital world. And so the government are really looking at developing a strategy for Aotearoa New Zealand to be able to um, have a shared strategy across the country to en- enable people to have 
um, access that they need. So there's actually um, a number of, of different sessions. There are some specifically for youth. There are some for Māori. There are some for Pacific peoples. You know, there are lots of different opportunities. If you were to get in touch with Digital Aotearoa, so um, Digital A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A at D-I-A, gov.nz you'll be able to get all of the information you'll be able to find out when you can jump online or of course jump on our um, weekly bulletin and you'll be able to go through click through anyway to the details there we've also got a a study around um, how hard uh, charities have been hit as a result of and this is interesting this also came out of the JB Weir report but this is something we've captured in our weekly bulletin that community organisations, many of them have lost up to like half of their income, you know, as a result of, of COVID. But even more so, and that's, that's particularly for the arts and for sport. But for the not-for-profit sector, for the, sorry, the community and social service groups that we work with, it's been really interesting. We've seen quite a different trend where not many have had the same kind of decrease in income, but they've had significant increase in service demand. So it's almost, in a sense, the opposite problem, um, but the resourcing issue still remains. So I think something really interesting to think about and certainly hope the government considers how it works for not-for-profit or with not-for-profit organisations to enable them to survive through some of these really difficult times. Going back, though, to the weekly report, um, we've also got uh, a number of health forums coming up around the region, and these are really worth um, going along to just to get some additional details about what's happening right around the region. There's actually heaps of them. There's later on in October, there's Thames Coromandel. There's the North Waikato ones. There's the Greater Hamilton, the South Waikato coming up in November, along with Matamafbiako, another one in Hamilton in November, and in Waitomo and Ochlahonga. There are heaps of these, and they are worth checking out if you do need to know a little bit more about the sorts of work and the range of of work going on in our communities. The easiest way, again, to get this would be to actually get in touch with us at Community Waikato and we can send you out a full list of of venues, times, dates, all of that kind of stuff. Um, What else have we got? Doing the difficult stuff well. This is an online workshop we've got coming up on the 27th of October. It's not too long. It's only from 10 to 11.30, so, so that's not too bad being facilitated by Chris um, Atkinson, who's from Volunteering Waikato. So this is actually going to be held in two parts. The, the first part happens on the Wednesday, that's on the 27th from 10 till 10.30, sorry, 11.30, 10 till 11.30. And the second one is on Tuesday, the 2nd of November, in that same time period, 10am to 11.30. Registration is for both parts, and it is well worth attending those. So this is really about, you know, have you ever experienced a sense of dread when you need to address volunteer behaviour or have one of those conversations you just don't feel comfortable having? So this workshop really explores the sorts of techniques that you can use to have an effective conversation, and in particular with volunteers. It covers what makes difficult conversations so hard, it covers the impact, why do we need to address behaviours and performance issues, uh, talks about a greater understanding of self-talk and emotional intelligence, how to challenge unwanted behaviours and encourage above-the-line language, and a process for identifying issues and engaging in effective communication. This is really, really important. 
you know, I think there's more challenges at times for employers working with volunteers because they are giving of their time. And, and I think that we want to really acknowledge and respect and be grateful for that. But we also need to have expectations about performance. And so this really helps an organisation how to how to really yeah engage in that way and have those conversations when they need to be had. So you make sure that both the volunteer and the organisation gets the most out of the relationship. We are going to take another break, listen to another song, and when we come back, we're just going to have a brief conversation about vaccinations. We're back with Connect with Community Waikato. Holly Snape here from Community Waikato. And we've been talking today about a couple of different things, starting with the JB Wear report, then just touching on the weekly bulletin. And now for the final part of our show, we're going to be talking a little bit about vaccinations. And I am sure people feel somewhat vaccinated out. But um, but this is going to become more and more of uh, an issue or a concern for community groups. And we need to find ways to have some of these conversations but also to understand what your rights are as an employee, employer and what an employee's rights are in the workplace as well. So the first thing is a lot of people will have seen that the government has mandated, moved to mandating a number of industries to be fully vaccinated. That includes nurses, people working in the space of disability, for example. It actually impacts a number of community organisations. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. I suppose the next thing to keep in mind is that what can you do then if you think your employees should or um, shouldn't be vaccinated? So first off, employees and employers or their unions um, or collective agreement, they can negotiate for variations to an existing condition. So that could include adding COVID-19 vaccination as a term of employment if it's reasonable for the role. And that is really what you and your boards need to explore, first of all, before you even go down that road. Is it required for health and safety reasons? That's really what you're looking at. 
if you're working with a particularly vulnerable population um, and you're unable to control for that, like a, a nurse would, like someone working um, as a caregiver in disability, for example, then yeah, it may be very much so that that you, you really do need your staff vaccinated to ensure they're safe, but also the vulnerable people you're working with are safe. If, for example, you're an organisation like Community Waikato, where you're not necessarily working with um, vulnerable populations, we work often with the service providers rather than service users, we are able to perhaps put other things in place rather than a mandated vaccine. So, for example, we might be inclined to require our staff wear face masks when engaging in a... Um, an enclosed space, particularly if you if you can't be distanced, you know. So there are other opportunities to consider rather than a mandated vaccination that would require a modification in somebody's employment agreement. For new employees, again, you, you can start adding this into an employment agreement. So that makes it a little bit easier. But again, it must be reasonable for the role. So again, there must be a health and safety reason to require the vaccination. So it must not be unlawful, unlawfully discriminate under the Human Rights Act. Businesses must also engage with un- workers, their unions and other representatives when creating kind of any varying policies that and, and use any any established processes where possible. So changes to workplace policies can't result in inconsistencies with someone's employment agreement. So you couldn't just, for example, change a vaccination policy and then require everybody or your employees get vaccinated because that is not a condition of their employment agreement. So that's just something to be a little bit aware of, I suppose. Options for workers who are concerned about being um, about working around unvaccinated colleagues, and we've actually had a number of people ask us about this. So workers have the right to stop work or refuse to carry out work if they believe that they're doing the they believe that doing that work would expose them to harm, or anyone else, of course, to a serious health and safety risk from an immediate or upcoming hazard. So in general, uh, unless vaccination is needed for health and safety reasons, work is unlikely to be unsafe solely because it is done around unvaccinated workers. But be prepared that that is a conversation you may need to have um, with your employees. Flexible work arrangements employees have the right to request a change of their work environments, which includes their place of work. So, for example, if somebody's work, maybe it's a telemarketing role, um, I was going to say not often done in not-for-profit, but actually you might have fundraisers, um, you know, who who basic job involves phone calls. Well, they may not necessarily need to be based in a workplace with everybody else, perhaps in an open room where they feel unsafe. They may be able to work from home. So it's really thinking about um, how is it that a workplace may be able to be flexible to ensure people's safety. There's actually quite a lot of information. You'll find heaps of it on the MB website as well, employment.gov.nz, if you do want to know more. It is worth checking out. We have a managers forum coming up in November. Uh, that That is a forum that people get an invitation to. So if you are a manager of a not-for-profit organisation and you want to get on the invitation list, you'll just need to send me an email. It's nice and easy, just holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at communitywaikato.nz.
www.org.nz. Let me know about the organisation you manage and a, and a contact email address and I will be able to put you on the list. Our next conversation is going to be about vaccinations. It's going to be, um, we're going to bring on some HR specialists, um, a, a lawyer as well, so that people can ask some of those specific questions about any unique circumstances they might have just to get some advice and some feedback. So if you are a manager, um, do flick me that email. Let me know you want to go on the list and I'll do that for you. And that email address again is holly at communitywakato.org.nz. That's us for another week, guys. I'm going to sign off now, but we will be back with you next week, um, hopefully with a guest, but we'll see what these COVID levels do. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Connect with Community Waikato, Free FM 89.0. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.